So what are the characteristics of apocalyptic literature? You know, there are a few characteristics. When we say apocalyptic, we say prophetic book, there are, there are differences. So what are the characteristics of apocalyptic literature? We said John called this book as apocalypse. In other words, he said, we should always keep this in mind. The, the very meaning of this book, the, the title of this book says, unveiling, a disclosure. So it is not supposed to be a hidden book or it is not supposed to be a closed book or a secret book. John's intention was he wants to disclose something to his audience. And that's what we should strive to find out. Now, from 200 BC to 200 AD, there were different types of apocalyptic books. You know, many Jewish writers as well as Christian writers, they wrote apocalyptic literature. Uh, now, as far as John is concerned, his major focus is on the Old Testament literature. So we need to find out from which all books he has derived his knowledge, this apocalyptic literature. Now in the Old Testament, uh, if you are talking about Jewish apocalyptic literature, that belongs to the Old Testament. So in the Jewish apocalyptic literature or in the Old Testament, we have few books which come under this category. For example, Daniel. Daniel is considered to be an apocalyptic literature. And if you go to Isaiah, <clears throat> there are tendencies, not the entire Isaiah, Isaiah chapters 24 to 27. Now, if you go to Ezekiel chapter 38 to 39, uh, just two short chapters, but filled with uh, apocalyptic uh, nature. You know, the book begins with the Gog of the land of Magog. Uh, till date, no one is able to tell Gog represents whom, though many Christian, many books have come uh, telling that Gog, uh, Gog belongs to Russia, and uh, they've, they've written books, made money out of those books, but all have been proved false. So we have to be very careful in understanding the apocalyptic literature. And of course, we have in Zechariah chapter 9 to 14. If you study all these chapters, you find some characteristics of apocalyptic literature being present in these books. So last, well, last week, okay, we, I'll come to that. Now, this is within the Old Testament. These books have some characteristics of apocalyptic literature uh, in these books. Now, outside of the Old Testament, there are several books. Uh, this is not in the Old Testament outside. Like I gave you a few examples from Book of Enoch, Apocalypse of Baruch, the fourth book of Ezra, the Ascension of Isaiah, the Apocalypse of Zephaniah, and so. Now, it is not, uh, it's not mandatory for us to read all these books to understand uh, the book of Revelation, uh, because we have said that 
of the 404 verses that are present in the book of Revelation, 278 verses, they contain one or more references to the Old Testament. So if our knowledge of the Old Testament is good, it's enough for us to understand the meaning of uh, this book. So we don't have to worry about what the book of Enoch says, what the book of Baruch says, what the book of Ezra says. Uh, now, all these books have come between 200 BC uh, after that. Now, if you see the author's name, none of them have given their own names. They always wrote in the name of an ancient writer. That's what you find Enoch. The name of Enoch we find in the, in the book of Genesis. Now, Baruch. Baruch was an assistant to prophet Jeremiah. Now, these writers, they didn't want to disclose their names. So they were writing books like that. So the, uh, we don't have to worry much about these books. Uh, we have to worry about the Old Testament apocalyptic literature. Now, what happens in the apocalyptic literature? Uh, what are the special characteristics of this apocalyptic uh, literature? Now, in the apocalyptic literature, what we find is uh, persons and nations are represented as animals. Uh, quite often persons and sometimes nations, they are represented as animals in the likeness of animals. We come across you know, words like horses, goats, bees, rams, uh, bulls, leopards, eagles, dragon, bees. Uh, so all these animals, they represent, either they could represent a person or they could represent a nation. So we need to uh, keep this in mind. The persons are represented as animals. And then historical events are represented in the form of natural phenomena. Uh, it's, it's like an earthquake, plague, uh, fire, brimstone. Uh, if, you, if, if you are interested and if you read Ezekiel 38, 39, just two chapters, and if you try to figure out all the characteristics of the apocalyptic literature, you will be surprised to find many of these things uh, mentioned in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Now, this historical event, something that happens, they, they refer to it by way of natural phenomena. Now, there are also colors and numbers. Uh, there are different colors that are mentioned in this literature, and there are numbers, several numbers. I'm just giving you a few examples. Uh, all these colors and numbers, they have secret meanings. Uh, color like red, green, white, uh, rainbow, and you have numbers, three and a half. That is 50% of number seven. Uh, that means three and a half is incomplete. It is imperfect. When we come to number seven, uh, we saw last week itself, it's a perfect number. It's complete. Seven days in a week, and when the seven days are over, the second week starts. So we have completed a week. It shows completion, perfection. And then we come across the figure 144,000. 
is it literally 1,44,000 are symbolic? So we need to figure out. So uh, in the apocalyptic literature, we have seen that persons are represented as animals. Uh, historical events uh, in the form of natural phenomena like earthquake and you find things like mountains trembling, plague, fire and brimstone, etc. These are these all uh, represent some historical events and colors and numbers. They have secret meanings. We should keep this in mind with this introduction to the apocalyptic literature. I want to touch upon certain basic features of the apocalyptic books and the, all these features they apply to the book of Revelation. The first feature is the taproot of apocalyptic is the Old Testament prophetic literature. Uh, the taproot, that means the main thing in the, in, in the book of Revelation is the Old Testament prophetic literature. Like I mentioned about the book of Daniel, uh, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Zechariah. These books, they form the basis for the, for the message that we find in the book of uh, <clears throat> Revelation. The tap root, the tap root means the main root. Uh, the main root is Old Testament. The more we understand the Old Testament prophetic literature, we'll be able to understand the book of Revelation better. So our concentration should be on the Old Testament prophetic literature. Uh, last week itself, I had mentioned of the 404 verses that comprise the 22 chapters of the book of Revelation, 278 that's a that's a big figure 70% in other words 278 verses contain one or more references to an old testament passage in other words with all the knowledge of the old testament passage we cannot interpret uh, the book of revelation it is important that we have sufficient knowledge of the old testament passage. So the first characteristics is uh, the taproot of apocalyptic is the Old Testament prophetic literature. Uh, now in the apocalypse, the second uh, characteristic is these apocalyptic books, they were concerned about coming judgment and salvation. Now most of these books or almost all the books they were born either in times of persecution or in a time of great oppression when the believers were undergoing severe persecution or when the rulers were oppressing them uh, that is the time this kind of literature uh, came forth so they if you are talking about coming judgment and salvation they were they were not even concerned about God's activity within history. What do I mean by that? Like Israelites were slaves in Egypt. God intervened in their midst and he delivered them. Now, in the, in the apocalyptic literature, they're not concerned about 
God's activity, that means God intervening, what they are concerned is that God would bring an end to history because they are under persecution and there is oppression. They are talking about the end times and the book of Revelation also talks about the end times. They are talking about when God would bring this world to an end. They are talking about a violent, radical end to history. They are looking forward to the end of this history because there is so much of pain, so much of oppression. They are asking God, God, when these things will end. They are talking about end time. And in, in this process, they are talking about the right will triumph and the evil will be judged. One day evil will be judged. We are all fed up with the evil when the end of evil will come. And this is the literature which gives us signs and hope for the end of evil. Evil will be banished from God's earth. So these literature, they point out towards that end times. Now, these authors basically, they, they, they talked about there is a constant everyday struggle between good and evil. There are, there are constant struggle and they feel that even in our day-to-day -day life, there is a struggle between good and bad. Uh, but quite often we are not able to distinguish clearly the works of the two. We are unable to say, this is work of God, this is work of the evil one. We are unable to say that. So they are talking about there is a constant struggle going on between God and devil. And so God will bring the activities of the devil to an end. That's what, uh, that's what the message. In other words, they say the final separation of the two is the meaning of judgment. You know, the goodness and the good and the evil will be segregated, will be separated, and that is the message. And we find that in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, 32 to 33. Uh, there Jesus is talking about the separation of the sheep and the goats. That's talking about the end times. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 25, 32 to 33, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. This is the second characteristic. Uh, the third characteristic is the main purpose of apocalyptic writings was to provide a sort of theodicy. What's the meaning of the word theodicy? The theodicy is a word uh, that explains how can, that answers the question, how can a good God allow evil in this world? In other words, this book, the purpose of apocalyptic writing is to defend that God is good. 
in spite of so much of evil that we see around us, God is good. God's goodness and omnipotence is never questioned. So they will explain, they'll try to say. In other words, they justify the ways of God or they give reasons uh, for the suffering of God's people. God's people, they suffer in this world and these writings give us the reason why they suffer. Uh, in other words, this, this kind of writing is to encourage. It is not to discourage us or it is not to inculcate a sort of fear in us. It is just to encourage the people of God to persevere in times of persecution and oppression. Uh, blessed are those who are persecuted. So persecution is part of Christian living. So this, this writing or the book of Revelation, in fact, it is encouraging. It encourages the people of God, uh, all those who are undergoing persecution and oppression. The book just encourages, just persevere. Just persevere for a little longer. God will bring this evil to an end. Ultimately, good will triumph and the evil will be uh, judged. In other words, God has set a limit to the era of wickedness. Uh, God has given some time for the evil and God will intervene at the, at the appointed time and he will execute judgment. Now, when, when the final battle happens, evil will be destroyed. Evil in the form of persons, evil in the form of nations, they will be utterly destroyed. That's the message uh, in this book. And what happens after the destruction of the evil? A new order will be established and the end will be as the beginning and paradise will be restored. When we see Genesis and we read Revelation chapter 22, we find what the way uh, God created the Garden of Eden will again be reestablished or again it will be restored in, in Revelation chapter 22. The, the evil will be brought to an end. As children of God, we should always keep this in mind, whether in our personal lives or whatever, or in the society or in the nation or in the world. We may not understand everything, but evil will come to an end and our God will judge. He will banish the evil. Evil will be judged. Evil will be utterly destroyed. Evil nations will be utterly uh, destroyed. The, the fourth characteristic is uh, apocalyptic literature as a written structure form. Now, now, if you see the prophets, the prophets were basically spokesperson. They only spoke. After some time, people collected all that the prophets spoke and somebody uh, reduced it to the written form. But in the apocalyptic literature, it is not the spoken form. It is the written form. Uh, in, in, in the book of Revelation, John will be asked specifically to uh, write. 
in Revelation 1.19, it says, Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. In the prophetic literature, we don't find uh, references like this. In the prophetic literature, the prophets were supposed to speak on, on behalf of Yahweh. Thus said the Lord. They were supposed to speak. They were not asked to write it down. But in the apocalyptic literature, it, is, it comes in a written structure form. So it is important for us to understand the language, uh, the written structure, the literary form to understand uh, the meaning. The fifth characteristic is uh, most frequently, the stuff of apocalyptic is presented in the form of visions and dreams. The, you know, we find many visions in the book of Revelation and the language is cryptic. They have some hidden meanings and they are symbolic. So we need to keep this in mind. The visions, when the visions are explained or when the visions are explained in the book of Revelation, we need to find out the hidden meanings because the language will always be cryptic and it will contain, um, and it is symbolic. Now, I'm giving you the uh, characteristics of apocalyptic literature, and it is both within the Old Testament and outside the Old Testament. Now, when the writers, uh, when they wrote, uh, I'm, I'm especially picking up from the outside the Old Testament, they want to give uh, the book a sense of uh, ancient age. That's why you say we saw that the book of Enoch, ancient age, and they are writing in the present times in the name of those authors, the ancient authors. Uh, book of, uh, they're writing sometime in 100 BC, and they are saying the book of Enoch, the book of Baruch, that's again uh, the Jeremiah's Aston, the, uh, and the book of Ezra. So they want to give these books uh, a kind of ancient image, and then they will write, seal it up for a later day. In fact, they are writing about the present day circumstances, but because they want to give this book uh, some kind of ancient image, they will say, seal it up for a later day. Uh, so John has not been asked to seal the book. That's the difference. When we see the other apocalyptic literature, we'll find the reference, seal it up for the later day. But in the case of John, John is specifically asked, do not seal the words of prophecy. Revelation 22.10 says, then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of the scroll because the time is near. Now that's the difference between the apocalyptic literature outside the Old Testament and uh, this particular book, Revelation. That's the difference. John has been specifically asked, do not seal because the time is near. The sixth characteristic is the images of apocalyptic are often forms of fantasy. They're imaginary rather than reality. When we studied, uh, when we last week, we saw that 
If you want to read the book of Revelation, we have to use our imagination and it has to be disciplined imagination, not the way we want to imagine. Because to understand the images of apocalyptic, uh, because they are often forms of fantasy, we need to be able to use our imaginative skills. And uh, these images, when we come across in the book of Revelation, they, they are just forms of fantasy rather than reality. Uh, now, the symbols have been used in the Bible. Now, Jesus also used symbols. The prophets also used symbols. But there is a difference between the, the images of the apocalyptic symbols and the way Jesus and the prophets use the symbols. I don't know what symbols come to your mind when I'm talking about the prophets and Jesus. Uh, let me give you a few examples of how they use the symbols and how we find the symbols in the apocalyptic book. Now, the prophets and Jesus, they also used symbolic language, but most often it involved real images. Uh, they are not imaginary, they are real images. For example, Jesus used the word salt. You are like the salt of the earth. Now, no one has to explain to us what salt means. It's a real image. Uh, so it's not a problem for us. Now, Je Jesus also said dead body and vultures in Luke 17, 37. So dead body, vultures, we all are familiar with these symbols. Now, the prophets, uh, Hosea said, Ephraim is like a senseless dove uh, because he is easily deceived and he's senseless. So he's talking about senseless doves and he says Ephraim represents senseless doves because he can be deceived. He can be easily deceived. So he's using the symbol of dove and he's adding the adjective senseless doves. Now, Again, in Hosea, we find half-baked cakes. It is, it is not difficult for us to understand the word, the symbol, half-baked cakes. Because he will say, Ephraim is a flat loaf, not turned over. It's a flat loaf. It's only one side is cooked or baked. The other side is not baked. So they're using. Now, these are the symbols, or this is the nature of the symbols used by the prophets and Jesus. Uh, but we now let us look at the uh, symbols used in the apocalyptic literature. Because we said the images of apocalyptic, apocalyptic are often forms of fantasy rather than reality. Now let me give you a few examples of the images of apocalyptic. Uh, because I said they belong to fantasy now a beast with seven heads and ten horns a beast with seven heads and ten horns if i were to ask you have you seen a beast with seven heads and ten horns 
if I were to ask you, have you seen a dead body? Have you seen salt? Have you seen a dove? Now, those are the symbols used by Jesus and the prophets. Now, when it comes to apocalyptic book, I said it belonged to fantasy, imagination, a beast with seven heads and ten horns, and a woman clothed with the sun. In Revelation 12, 1, we find that. And then we find locusts with scorpions tails with human and human heads locusts with scorpions tails and human heads uh, people have written books taking this symbol and misinterpreting um, and uh, the books have been sold in great numbers telling that locusts with scorpion tails they belong to um, helicopters the battle helicopters the gun helicopters so they have misused the symbols but that's not what the symbols mean now if see the problem the problem with this fantasy is uh, it is not the problem is not with the items themselves now if i say beast we all are familiar with beast if i say a woman we all know if i say locus we all know that so the problem is not uh, with the items but the problem is in their unearthly combination the way they have been combined if he has mentioned only about a beast we will not have problem but when he says a beast with seven heads and ten horns that's a problem for us uh, but that is the unearthly combination when he says if he says locus uh, it's not a problem we come across even in the newspaper we read about locus that's not a problem but when he says locus with scorpions tails and human heads this combination this unearthly combination is a problem for us uh, so we should keep this mind now we we should also understand these images a beast with seven heads and ten horns or locusts with scorpion tails and human heads they are representations of certain realities so when we are studying the book of revelation we should try to figure out what is that certain reality what is that reality what is the reality behind a beast with seven heads and ten horns that's what we should try to uh, figure out in the book of Revelation. Uh, the, the seventh characteristic is most of the apocalyptic, they were formally style, stylized. Uh, let me explain that. Uh, you know, there'll be a very neat package, uh, or in other words, there's a strong tendency to divide time and events into neat packages uh, so we will find as a consequence that the final product is usually uh, you see uh, the visions in carefully arranged order sometimes often numbered and sets uh, 
so when you put all these sets together, they express something, maybe judgment. Uh, just keep this in mind as we study the book of Revelation, uh, it will become clearer. Uh, but at the same time, when you study all these visions, we should also keep in mind they have not been put in a chronological order. It's not that this will take first and then this will take, uh, this will happen later. Uh, these visions have not been uh, put in the book in a, in a chronological order. So we have to be careful. Now this has happened. So next event will be this. No, we'll go wrong. Uh, that's not the way uh, it has been uh, mentioned in the book of Revelation. For example, uh, I'll give you the some one or two examples, or at least one. Uh, Revelation 7:4. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, one lakh forty-four thousand from all the tribes of Israel. Now, now we should not take this number literally that we will be counting the persons and exactly we will find 1,44,000 uh, or we should not take this figure literally, we should take it symbolically. Then only we will be able to understand the meaning of the book Revelation. For example, we all know the story of the hair and the tart. Now, when we study or we all have uh, studied the story uh, but nobody asked the question who was the referee referee at that place to say that the hair was first or the tortoise was first or none of us will ask what language did they use did they use tortoise language or hair language no none of nobody will ask because these questions don't matter because that is not the purpose of the story. Uh, same way in Revelation also, we should be careful. If we ask these questions, we will not get the answers. We should try to find out what is the message of the vision? What is the central message of the story? Now, I'll give you another example from the New Testament. Uh, John chapter 14, 2. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Now, based on this verse, can we say there is a big housing colony in heaven? Construction is going on on a large scale. Once the construction is completed, uh, Jesus will come because this verse says, my father's house has many rooms. We don't ask such questions to find the meaning because we understand what this verse conveys. The eighth characteristic is revelation is not future foretold in serial order chronologically. I told you the visions have not been put up chronologically uh, in the same way. Uh, revelation is not future foretold in a serial order chronologically. Now, if you see Revelation chapter 6, 12 to 17, it talks about the sixth seal. And if you study uh, this particular passage, 
that is when the sixth seal is opened you will you can say the end has already come that's the end but the book goes on so it is not chronologically you cannot say sixth seal will come first then the seventh seal so it is not conveying a chronological message i'll give you one more example from the book of revelation uh, revelation 8:7 says the first angel sounded his trumpet and there came hail and fire mixed with blood and it was hurled down on the earth a third of the earth was burned up a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up now when we read this we can say all the green grass was burned up in other words hereafter we will not be able to see green grass uh, that's how the book describes but when we go to revelation uh, chapter 94 you can only note down the references and the phrase all the green grass was burned up now when we go to revelation chapter 9 and verse 4 it says they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree but only those people who did not have the seal of god on their foreheads now they were told instructed not to harm the grass of the earth so it is not set in a chronological uh, or sequential order we should keep this in mind while studying this book now the ninth characteristic is most of the revelation is not to be treated literally like i gave you an example 144000 we should not take it as a literal number of 144000 uh, we should take it as symbolically and try to understand the meaning of that number the last characteristic which i want to say is there is a repetition of picture and number patterns john is a good teacher uh, a good teacher always repeats for the benefits of his, for the benefit of his students and john also repeats certain pictures and number patterns so we will find a repetitive factor in the book of revelation because the book of revelation uh, the numbers are given not for for the purpose of statistics uh, they are given for clear symbolic significance it is god's word and these numbers are there with some significance not for the purpose of statistics the way we read in the newspaper now this i have given you the basic characteristics of apocalyptic literature because these are the characteristics we will find in the book of revelation so when we are trying to understand the meaning of a particular passage we should keep these uh, factors in mind uh, so that we'll be able to understand the message of the book now we'll go to the uh, identity of the author the how do we know who wrote this book now if you read this complete book four times the author calls himself john four times we find in four places 
he calls himself as John. Now, Revelation 1.1, it says, The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Now, Revelation 1.4, John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Now, Revelation 1.9, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering. Now, the last chapter, Revelation 22.8, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. Now, in none of these uh, places, we find a qualifying identification like John the Elder, or John Mark. Uh, John, by simply saying that John to the seven churches in the provinces of Asia, to the, in the province of Asia, he means that his readers were uh, well known to him, or the readers knew him so well, he doesn't have to introduce himself by saying John the Elder or Mark, John Mark or whatever it is. When he says John, they understood who John was. So they were all very familiar with the author. That's why we don't find any uh, description, son of so-and-so or John the Elder, nothing is there. Uh, they knew that. But uh, how do we know who wrote this book? Uh, right from mid-second century, uh, the book from mid-second century, we can say that uh, the, the book was universally ascribed to the Apostle John, the son of Jebedee. Uh, that's how the early church fathers, they recognized. Uh, however, still in the literary circles, or in the literary circles, there are problems. There are, there are problems with regard to the authorship they still debate whether it is the Apostle John or some other John. But uh, it's not very important for us to uh, pinpoint who is the author because the interpretation of the book does not depend on, uh, on this certainty. The interpretation remains the same whether we know the author or writing. Now, having said that, next we'll go to the time of writing of Revelation. Why should we be bothered about the time of writing? Because it is the time of writing which will give us the historical circumstances. When John, uh, you know, anytime there is a letter, we need to reconstruct the historical circumstances. So that is why it is important for us to figure out the time of writing of Revelation. Now, we will be able to understand the uh, seven letters or the letters written to the seven churches only if we understand the only if we figure out the timing uh, now the revelation we press we 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 feel it was written between ad 69 to 96. now when we read all the letters the one message that we get is that 
John keeps repeating, victory will be yours if you remain loyal to Jesus Christ. Victory will be yours because they were undergoing persecution. They were, you know, they were undergoing a time of oppression and John is encouraging them, you, you persevere, victory will, will come to you provided you are loyal to Jesus Christ. Now, some of the scholars will try to say this book was written sometime between AD 54 to 68. Uh, that was the time of Emperor Nero. Uh, uh, the, the book does not reflect the true conditions that existed in the time of Nero. Uh, the book says it was more, if you see the conditions that are described in the book, we can say it was written sometime during the time of Emperor Domitian, uh, his timing was AD 81 to 96. Uh, so we will almost come to the conclusion this book also came or was written during the time of Domitian. Now, why we are not considering the time of Nero, uh, Nero also persecuted Christians, but his persecution was confined to the city of Rome. Uh, it was not a large-scale, widespread uh, persecution. But when we study the history of uh, Domitian, Emperor Domitian, he was the one who insisted the people should bow before him. They should call him as Lord and God, and they should come and bow before him. It is this kind of that compulsion that Christian said, we cannot do it. We have only one Lord. We cannot come and bow before the uh, before Emperor Domitian. And that's how a large scale persecution started. And so we can fairly, we can say this book was also written during the time 81 to 96. Because Emperor Domitian said, anyone who does not bow before me is un unpatriotic. We hear all these words, these words even now we continue to hear, we are able to relate what's happening now in the world right now. Uh, so we'll be able, this book is quite uh, useful for us if you understand the real meaning. Uh, so the Domitian said, you are unpatriotic because you are not bowing before me, but the people said we cannot do that. The second uh, reason that we can say it was written between 81 to 96 is uh, there is a letter written to the church in Smyrna. But the church in Smyrna did not exist uh, until after the time of Paul. That means this church came into existence after 1960. Uh, but the church in Smyrna uh, was undergoing a lot of trials and persecution. Uh, so, uh, so we say it was written sometime uh, late 90s. Now, the other factor is in Revelation 3.17 uh, is the church in Laodicea. Uh, the verse says, you say I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. Now, Laodicean church is described as a rich church. But uh, the history says this church was completely destroyed by an earthquake in AD 61. So if this book, uh, you know, if the church, if the city has been rebuilt after the earthquake, it will take some time. So we can, we can safely say 
This book was written sometime 81 to 96. In fact, most of the scholars will say it was after 90, uh, this book was uh, written. Uh, so it was written during the time. That's about AD 90 to 95, this book was written. And all the early church fathers, uh, they, they also uh, corroborate this. They also say this book was written. That's Irenaeus, Clement of Alexandria, and Oregon, and Eusebius. All these church fathers will also say this book was written sometime between 90 to 95. Uh, I would request you to go through chapter one before we come for the next session. Uh, next session. Uh, I've given you uh, introduction, uh, which is fairly enough for us to go through this book. If you keep these factors in mind, uh, we have to unlearn the way we have understood this book all these days. Uh, we have taken certain things literally. Uh, we should be prepared to unlearn a few things so that we'll be able to understand the correct uh, message of the book. Uh, now, if any of you have any question, uh, you can ask the stop share. If there are any questions, uh, you can ask. Thank you, Pastor. Pastor, I'd like to add a point. Let's carry on, Pastor. You know, um, I had done, um, when I was in Saudi, uh, had very limited resources, but I was able to do a study on revelation and teach. And um, now when I look back, uh, I really feel ashamed because um, later on I come to learn, uh, you know, the real right interpretation of this uh, uh, book of revelation. And uh, we hear so much of uh, wrong uh, teachings uh, about the book of revelation. And so important that we uh, learn the proper way to, okay. And these guidelines that uh, we have seen for the last two days, it's really, really help us. But uh, one thing is we have to continue to uh, attend so that uh, we will know uh, the overall picture. It is not that we go deep into it, overall picture, we will know. And so that's my point that I wanted to share. I learned, I did, but uh, later on I realized how wrong my interpretation was. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, as far as God's word is concerned, God is so good to us, so gracious to us. He always wants us to understand his book in a better way. Uh, every word of God is flawless. Uh, he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. If you uh, read, this is a proverb we clearly know, because every time we, every word of God is flawless, he is a shield. In other words, Every time we read the book of, uh, we read the word, it should take us beyond the book to the author, to God. So that's why every word of the book is flawless. He is a shield. He is a shield means by reading the word of God, we will have an encounter with, the, with God. So our, for, our desire should be, Lord, as we read this book, uh, we'll be able to have an encounter with the living God. Anybody else? Uh, my question was, um, why did the apocalyptic writers seal the scrolls? Because you mentioned that apocalyptic writing was to bring us hope about the future. 
uh, but John specifically was told not to seal it. So why did the others seal the scrolls? Yeah, that is to give a sort of hoary image. Uh, hoary means ancient, hoary image. It's an ancient image. Uh, that was the reason why they used pseudonymity. They did not write in their original names. So they were writing, for example, they were writing in BC 100 and they were saying uh, the book of Enoch. So they want to give some kind of ancient uh, image to that book. And then they say, seal this word for the day has not yet come. But they were actually writing when the day is happening. But that's the difference when John's, uh, in, in the book of Revelation, where God instructs him not to seal the book. No, I, I think that just goes to my next question, which was why were they trying to give an ancient feel for something that was happening in the present time while talking about the future, I guess? Uh, they, they, this was a spirit, this was a time. I don't want to get into that. This was a time when the spirit was quenched. There was no spirit. After the book of Malachi, the, the, the age of the spirit will come to an end. But when it comes to John, the age of the spirit has come again after the day of Pentecost. So this was a time where they wrote like this when the spirit, the age of the spirit was quenched. And so they were using uh, the they were using the names of forefathers. Anybody else? Uh, Pastor, regarding the authorship, uh, we mentioned that it's not important. Uh, like it, it seems to be John, but you said like that's not the most important thing. How do you? Uh, like because there were other apocalyptic letters that were faked and not written by the actual authors, how do you prove that this was, uh, this is actually God's word? And how, how do you? Uh, when I said uh, uh, what was not important is whether this book was written by John the Apostle or John the Elder or John Mark. It is not. It's not so important for us to know. Uh, which John it was, because the interpretation of the book will not depend on uh, knowing that it is John the Apostle or John Mark or John the Elder. Uh, that was the point I made. Oh, oh I misunderstood. Uh, it that. is, it is, it, yeah, it is, it is God's word because you understand how canonicity was brought in and how this book meets that canonicity. So that's altogether a different chapter. It, yeah. that, that's why the other books were not included because they didn't come to that standard. Okay, if there are no more questions, we'll uh, say this final prayer. We'll all read together as final prayer.
this is this is found in Revelation chapter 19 verses 5 to 8. We'll all read it together as a prayer. Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Hallelujah. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, given head, head to wear. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, unfailing love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit remain with each one of us now and forevermore. God bless you all.